Are you feeling stuck? Are you worried about what others think and this stops you from taking action? Do you need to find the proof that you're as strong and courageous as you wish you were? That's where I can help. Welcome to Finding Proof, a podcast where you learn to create the tools you need to reach the next level of your success. I'm your host, Dr. Tess Crawley. I'm an Australian clinical and forensic psychologist and an evidence-based success strategist. I'm on a mission to help you find the evidence you need to make the next courageous leap in your life, business and work. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Finding Proof podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tess Crawley, and I'm so excited to have you here today because, of course, today I have another guest on the show. Today we're talking to a New York therapist, licensed clinical social worker, Clay Cockerell. He's a bit of a disruptor in the field. We're going to be talking quite a bit about what that means in the work that he's done in the past and is going to be doing in the future with some fantastic stories to share. Welcome, Clay. Clay, so glad to have you here. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. That's very exciting for me. I, I think you're, you're actually my second official guest on the show. So <laughs> I have uh, uh, lots of, um, I would say, bugs to iron out of my system. Clay and I were actually meant to meet last week and we had a little bit of a hiccup with that. So, and that was, of course, <laughs> my fault. But I'm glad to get you here finally. So um, tell me a little bit about your practice. I... I um, I know a little bit about what you do, and I know that you're quite well known for your walk and talk therapy. So perhaps if we start talking a little bit about what you do and and that journey that you've taken with your practice. Absolutely. Well, I started uh, a a practice, just a traditional uh, face-to-face practice. Um, Wow. It's uh, maybe 15 years ago, 12, 15 years. And um, it was, uh, I was having difficulty seeing some of my clients because here in Manhattan, um, it can be difficult to get around. And I had this client on Wall Street that was having a hard time coming up and and, uh, finding me. And so my wife came up with this idea of why don't you go to him? And maybe you can walk around outside. And and I thought, no, you can't do that. But the more I tried to explain why you couldn't do that, uh, I couldn't. So we started to explore the option and I offered it to this client and he thought it was great. So we walked along the Hudson River for the session and um, it was an amazing session. And the more we worked together, it just became apparent that this was uh, something different and new. And so we, um, we met regularly. I started offering it to other clients to walk outside during your therapy session. And I called it Walk and Talk. And I got the domain name and uh, started marketing it. And um, a reporter from the Wall Street Journal uh, stumbled upon it and did a big article, which led to an appearance on Good Morning America. Um, and then all of a sudden I had a practice and it was going like gangbusters ever since. Um, so what started out as kind of trying to, to meet a need became a, a legitimate approach. And more and more people around the world, I think, are learning that being outside in nature um, can in, enhance the therapy process. So, um, so I walk with clients in Central Park and that's even when it's bad weather. Uh, I do have an office nearby that we could, we could go to, um, but that's, that's how all that started. 
And for an Australian, not having yet been to New York, you know, this idea of doing your therapy in Central Park is, is very, um, it's almost like the stereotypical New York thing. It's just so beautiful in my mind. I've got this lovely image of it. I, I hear what you're saying about the reasons why you can't, you can't do something. I uh, have often, I've often had questions from other therapists. I do a lot of mentoring of other mental health professionals and, and they're often asking the question, a client wants me to meet them in their workplace or a client wants me to meet them at the local coffee shop. Ethically, I can't because X, Y, Z. And I, and mm-hmm. you know, those fears around breaching confidentiality. The one mm-hmm. thing I often come back to, and I'm sure you discovered this, most people aren't silly. You know, they know that they're in a public space and they're going to be talking to you as if they're having a normal conversation. It's going to be very different to the kind of conversation they'd have within the four walls of the therapy room. Right. What do you find that's different about the type of conversations that you have, you know, the depth that you can get to when you're walking? How does that pan out? Well, I think that um, the, the great thing about New York in particular is nobody's paying any attention. <laughs> um, we're all so self-consumed with ourselves that, um, you know, celebrities can be walking right by and nobody really says anything. Um, so, and I, over the years, have developed a way of uh, monitoring who's near us. Um, so it's, it's a huge park and we really stay in private, quiet areas and I make sure that there's no one near us that can overhear. Um, but to your question, I think that um, I think better on my feet. And I think a lot of people do. And, and walking can be a metaphor for moving forward in your life. And um, it, it normalizes the process. You're not going in to see the doctor, you know. And um, it can be uh, a l- more casual. Yeah. And, yes, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that idea that um, people are, you know, they're not like the bunny in the headlight, you know, they're not sitting in yes. the room with the therapist, especially those early sessions. I imagine people Absolutely. feel that it's a bit more casual, a bit more relaxed and comfortable and talking Absolutely. to a peer who happens to be a professional. Yeah, it, it helps, especially with okay, men. We've noticed sometimes. something similar actually in my practice. Sorry, keep going. That, that, that's okay. There's a little bit of delay on the line, but that's that's expected. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think it happens. Uh, it helps all to to men in particular. We sometimes don't. We're not very good at eye contact, and so to be able to walk. Uh, and, and, you know, you're side by side and you're casually, um, glancing to the side to, uh, to make eye contact. But, um, but in general, you know, it's, it, it helps, I think, to reduce some of the pressure and the tension in the session. Yeah. yeah. Did you find when you started launching the walk and talk therapy, how did your peers feel about what you were doing? Did you get much pushback professionally or did people really embrace the idea? Absolutely. I have been called uh, probably every name in the book, uh, unethical, uh, poor business practices. How can you do that? Uh, it seems like that the, the people who are drawn to our profession really treat it as this precious thing. And they don't want to uh, to think outside the box and do something different. And and um, so, yeah, I had a lot of, and, and, and I questioned because when so many people are saying, you can't do this, you should not do this, but then they couldn't back it up with, with why not. And then I found out that Freud actually 
walked with some of his clients. And after I discovered that, I'm like, well, you know, I'm not a psychoanalytic, but, you know, if Freud can do it, I can do it. <laughs> it's a great fallback. If Freud can do it, I can. I love it. That's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, I think I think you're right, though. I do think that there's um, – I had a conversation recently with somebody where we were talking about the safety of the four walls of the consulting room. I mentioned that a minute ago. And there are a lot of a lot of our members of our profession who don't feel safe outside that, those four walls of the consulting room. They're doing anything that's out of the ordinary with their therapy. Uh, we've got a, a lovely service here in Hobart that is um, – run by a fellow and it's called Beer Beer and Bubs and it's a, um, a, a support group for new fathers and they meet in the pub and they have a beer and it's a very much similar concept of getting into your normal environment and having a normal human conversation but it's about an area that's you know that you're adjusting to and it's slightly difficult for you Absolutely. and nobody's um yeah, I don't think the sky's fallen in yet. <laughs> Those blokes are having their <laughs> talking about their babies, and all all things are okay. So I think I, I before we started recording the show, I, I referred to, referred to you as being a bit of a disruptor because, of course, walk and talk's not the only disruptive thing. You've had a podcast for a while, and mm-hmm. you know, right in the early days of. of podcasting i would say in the relatively early days of podcasting uh now you know every man and his dog's got a podcast myself included (laughs) how how did you get into podcasting what brought that about for you well i wanted to promote uh a new thing that i had um uh established and that was the online counseling directory So I got into online counseling uh, over five years ago because my wife and I wanted to travel. And as a private practice owner, you know, if you're not seeing clients, you're not earning money. And so um, I wanted to be able to take my clients with me. And so I started seeing clients online and I did everything incorrectly. Um, I allowed myself to be imperfect. And, um, but I was able to see a lot of clients online. My wife and I went to Rome for six weeks and I would work during the day and then we would go out and see the sites in the evening and on the weekends and it was wonderful. And I wanted to take what I had learned and teach other therapists how to, um, how to do this correctly and ethically because I, here in the US we have something called the HIPAA law which puts a lot of restrictions on technology and uh, confidentiality. I was using Skype uh, and Skype is not compliant with that law. Um, and there were things that I had learned that I thought that I could pass along. So I created this podcast to interview other therapists who were working online and to um, interview creators of different platforms, different, uh, you know, encrypted platforms, lawyers, ethicists, all around this topic of telemental health or, you know, online counseling. And it's been, it's been really incredible. I've learned a lot by, by doing it, by just being the guy asking the questions, I kind of turned into uh, an authority on it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is um, part of how I came, well, this is how I came to know you was through your podcast. In fact, my practice has been involved in telemental health for a little while now. And it was your podcast episode around why you must use Zoom instead of, um, Sorry, there's a bit of background noise. It's 7 o'clock in the morning here in Australia. My family has just emerged. So uh, <laughs> sorry about the noise. 
That's okay. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we implemented Zoom as soon as I heard your, your podcast because we, we have uh, similar ethical guidelines and rules in Australia and we obviously are relatively new to telemental health. I mean, you've been a bit of a groundbreaker doing it because it was convenient to you and it was imperfect action and it's fantastic. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to have imperfect action put on my tombstone when I eventually... <laughs> but... Um, the, the whole idea of telemental health is fairly new in Australia. We've got um, for about 10 years now, we've actually had government assistance for mental health services. So as a private clinician, you can offer a service, you charge a fee, and your client, nine times out of 10, is entitled to quite a large chunk of that fee back for their, um, you know, as a rebate. And we've mm. only in the last 12 months now had the same for telehealth. So people can, in rural and remote areas, and you can understand, of course, Australia is very large, very large yes. distances between a lot of those internal towns. And yeah. uh, we now, we've been running a rural mental health program for a while now. And, yes, and thank you, because your podcast really did help with Good. getting my around some of the questions I didn't need to ask because I had your <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. so, so the directory came out of your experience of setting up um, online mental health, and there's a story about a photograph of you that I'd love you to tell about uh, uh, your early days. Yes. Well, um, so I I bought the domain name. I'm real big on domain names because I think it's really important that you choose. Uh, a domain name is, that's going to uh, encapsulate what you do and that is going to be very friendly to Google and other search engines. So I bought the domain name onlinecounseling.com and I just didn't know quite what to do with it. And a lot of people, let's say I was seeing a couple and the husband needed to find an online therapist, there really wasn't a way to find someone, a, a, a directory. So I worked with a, a web developer and I said, I want to create a directory, a listing service for therapists who are working online. And so that people could go there and search with all sorts of different filters, say that I want to meet with someone who is female, who specializes in depression, who works with adolescents, who has this kind of training and is located in you know, the UK or whatever. And then you know, all these people would, would come up. And so I would have therapists that I would curate and make sure that, you know, I would check their license and their certification and make sure that they were actually trained and they would pay a monthly or yearly fee to be listed on this directory. So I launched this. It took a lot of money to, to develop it and to uh, promote it. And it began to uh, build a little bit. And, and so we wanted to have an official launch. Here in the U.S., we have a national symposium, a conference for, for psychotherapists. And that year it was in Washington, D.C. And I said, well, I'm going to rent. They have a vendor hall. So all these people who, you know, booksellers and um, accountants and people who are serving the private practice psychotherapist would put up a booth and sell their services. So I thought, well, I'm going to get a booth. And so we spent all this money to create a banner. And my wife came down and, and we, uh, we put it all about online counseling, how you can, for a small monthly fee, list your practice and you'll be able to get clients all over the world and we'll teach you how to do it. And, um, and so that's where this photo came from. My wife took a picture of me at the booth. But here's the, 
the thing that happened is so all day long, the therapists are in different uh, seminars. And so just before they opened up the vendor hall to the therapists, we had done all our preparation, made it look really pretty. And the symposium that they were in was the dangers of online counseling. <laughs> so all these hundreds of therapists had just been warned for a couple of hours, never do online counseling. This is a dangerous thing to do. And they open up the doors and there I am with my smiling face and my little pamphlets that says <laughs> onlinecounseling.com. Um, so it was, a, it was an interesting time. <laughs> What a challenge. Oh, my goodness. You yeah. mentioned before, you know, with the walk and talk being, being <laughs> everything under the sun and here you are trailblazing and smack into a brick, a brick wall. Yes. It's, it's interesting. I think, you know, when I talk to business owners, that whole idea of being, you know, you, you're walking two or three steps ahead of yourself all the time, you know, because you've got a big vision. And it takes a lot of courage to walk that far ahead of yourself, let alone the rest of the pack. Um, How did you bounce back from that? I mean, that would have been (laughs) potentially crushing. I can see why that photo represents what I often refer to as a superhero moment in your your profession, in your career. Yeah, it, uh, I've, I've had wonderful support from my wife and there's many times where I've gotten frightened and thought, you know, I can't do this. And she would just say, why? Um, you're not doing anything wrong. You're providing a service there. This is the way the industry is going to be going. Um, those that move ahead of the curve are always going to have slings and arrows thrown at them. So it's, um, you know, just kind of goes with the territory. Um, but she's been a wonderful support and uh, to bring me down to earth when, when I think, start thinking, oh, this is awful, this is terrible, I can't do this, everybody's mad at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Gary Vaynerchuk tells a story, a similar story about uh, being at an event when he launched his online wine store way back in the days when the internet was still a baby and uh, someone had just spoken immediately before him about how stupid the idea was that you could sell anything on the internet (laughs) 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 you know gary knew better history history was on gary's side and history was clearly on your side too i think that idea of being at the forefront of something um, you know, in Australia, you know, use of social media is a fairly new thing for mental health professions. And mm. there are a few mental health professionals who, like myself, have a bit of a social media profile. And every now and then we hit a little bit of a, an oil slick uh, where, where we're <laughs> skidding off the rails because somebody doesn't like what we're doing. And it is about keeping that big picture in mind. So right. the idea that you kept on, you kept on trucking, kept swinging, swimming in your own lane. You've got an interest in theatre as well, though, don't you? You've got a very passionate interest in theatre from what I can gather from your social media activity. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> well, it all... It all comes back. Yeah, that's the passion, you know, and um, I I went to school and got two degrees, one in theater and and one in psychotherapy and uh, wanted to come to New York and be an actor. And um, so that's how we came to New York. And, you know, you don't make a lot of money in the theater. So I had a choice of I could go be a bartender like all the other actors or oh, hey, I've got this degree here. I might be able to uh, support myself doing this. 
And, um, and that's, you know, from the walk and talk to the online therapy and the directory, it all comes back to support our passion. Uh, my wife and I started a theater company and, um, and, and this, you know, supports that dream. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. I'm, um, I mentioned to you, I mentioned to you when we were emailing each other about setting up this interview that, you know, have a, a similar history. Um, and it fascinates me. I think when I studied, because I didn't go to university till I was 25, and when I studied psychology, I put very much the blinkers on, you know, put myself in the four, those safe four walls, the therapy room, right from the moment I stepped into being a student of, of mental health. So I'm very, very... Um, envious of your ability to marry the two that's brilliant yeah and well and it's all about sort of theater are you involved in what sort of what sort of plays you do well we do uh, award-winning plays um uh, we don't do musicals um we do plays that have been recently on broadway um usually a small cast that speaks to some social issue our hope is to our audiences leave thinking of things in a different way and that maybe they have more questions than answers uh and and that's the power of theater and and it all comes back to story you know i mean with with psychotherapy it's about a person's story and with theater it's it's telling a story and it's it's a very primal powerful thing in the human race is story so there's a kind of a common theme in there and i love that common thread that's actually quite you know profound when you think about that element of storytelling and the history of storytelling you know is western culture and and all cultures really there's a, a common thread of storytelling and the use of storytelling to get people where they're going get people thinking yeah good for you i think that's amazing, I think that's amazing. thank you Theatre. Whereabouts do you have a building where your theatre is? Yeah, we're right across the river from Manhattan in Jersey City and in New Jersey. So it's about a seven minute boat ride, (laughs) train ride, uh, but we're right next to Manhattan. Oh, hopefully you've got something on when I'm in New York next year. That would be amazing to come and watch. I think think we might. I'll keep my fingers and toes crossed. So there's a, there's another thread, though, that runs through everything that we've just talked about is that thread of doing something that's a little bit outside the uh, traditional four walls of the stereotypical therapist. And mm-hmm. I think when people think of the New York therapist, they think about someone a bit stuffy, they think about a leather couch, they think about, <laughs> you know, weekly in-depth psychodynamic <laughs> therapeutic sessions, and that's just not what you do. That's nope. Um, do you find that others around you are picking up on the freedom that you're, you know, you've blazed a bit of a trail, which means you've been a little bit of a role model. Do you have others around you? Do you mentor others? Are there others that are following in similar footsteps to you or are you still a little bit of a rule breaker? Um, I'm I'm a little bit of a rule breaker. I think, I think that there are, um, there are more and more people, particularly young therapists who are able to think outside the box Uh, I think that our field is a little stale is not the right word, but we certainly um, follow a template of this is how it needs to look like. 
especially in New York, um, you know, this is kind of a, a bastion of psychotherapy and, and, and the psychoanalysis and, and that type of thing that it needs to look a certain way. And we get really uncomfortable when um, things begin to change. And, you know, I, I know therapists that don't have email, uh, that don't have a website, that uh, forget social media. Um, and I'm going, how, how do you, and, and they're not being successful. And, and here's the thing is, is that with the advent of life coaching, and, and I think life, the wonderful life coaches that I will refer people to when that is the service that they need, but they do not have the same uh, restrictions and ethical guidelines and legal guidelines that psychotherapists do. And, um, and they are going to pass us by. Um, people are going to begin using because they're easier. They are innovating. Um, they are using technology. And uh, I think that our field has the potential to get passed by, by that field, if we do not innovate and we do not um, play catch up. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm actually aware of a, um, there's a psychologist in Australia I had a conversation with not long ago who was saying that she was considering um, letting go of her registration as a psychologist because it was holding her back. Not that she wanted to do things that were unethical, but because the, the restrictions were still stuck about, you know, 20 years behind the current technologies and Absolutely. were holding her back significantly from how she wanted to grow. I don't know the end to that story. I don't know if she ended up doing that, but certainly those conversations are being had here as well on the other side of the world. Yeah. So... I, I, look, I really want to thank you for some of the threads that have really come through our conversation today. They really marry nicely with the themes that I often talk about. Taking imperfect action you know, is, is, is gold. I think so often we overthink things and when we've got ideas, when we've got passions that we want to pursue and we overthink, we need to just act. Me starting my podcast, I spent too long watching pod listening to podcasts and watching youtube videos on how to do a podcast and when it was when i realized i was actually spending too much time worrying about whether or not i should be sitting inside my wardrobe <laughs> to record audio <laughs> now so imperfect action is a really nice theme today but also yes. pursuing your passion and bringing your passion into the work that you do i think for many people who don't have that creative underbelly that you've got and you know, again with my acting background this is why I love social media it, it taps into for me that history so for people out there who are really wanting to marry their passion with their profession you know it shouldn't be an insurmountable task absolutely absolutely mm. Thank you so much for joining me today, Claire. I've really enjoyed our chat. I'm actually going to take you up on your offer to catch up when I'm in New York. I think we can have a follow-up chat and um, be a bit disruptive together. <laughs> that sounds great. Thank you so much for, for having me on your show. Thank you so very, very much. Now I need to end the recording.